Those words were found in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And what follows those words is the Sermon on the Mount. And then following the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is coming back down off the mountain, we read these words. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you, that many will come from east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. One more incident. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and waited on him. When the evening came, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Here we see Jesus healing people, then giving an important teaching on the kingdom of God and how important it was that we listen to his words, that we heed his words. And then when he comes down, more healing takes place. And whatever you, it's interesting also on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, immediately preceding the time when he went up on the mountain, he was healing people. Then he went up, he was transfigured. When he comes down the mountain, what does he run across? The disciples have been trying to cast a demon out of a little boy that's been uh, thrown into fire and all sorts of things happening to him. And uh, his disciples can't do anything about it. Jesus cast the demon out and he's made whole. And again, healing takes place. 
a major event and healing taking place on either side. Healing is just underscored in the Gospels. Let's face it. And in the book of Acts. So let me ask you, how many of you believe that God has the ability to heal someone? Let's see your hands. Okay, God, 100%. We believe that God has the ability to heal someone. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you ever prayed that he would and it did not happen? Let's see your hands. Okay, yeah. This is one of the biggest tensions for many, many people. We know he can, and then when he doesn't, It's confusing and it brings up all sorts of questions and doubts. I have no doubt that God can heal because as I've shared with you before, when I was a little boy, he healed me. The doctors couldn't do anything about it, but Jesus did. And so that always stuck with me. Even whenever I was trying to reason God out of existence, I could not because he had touched me. He made me whole when no one else could. And growing up, I saw people in my hometown healed right and left. It was just a common occurrence. It just happened. And uh, you see in the all the way through the Bible, you see healings in the Old Testament and you you see so many in the New Testament, the Gospels, there are at least 30 different healing miracles and Hundreds or if not thousands more are implied. Jesus healed the blind. He opened the ears of the deaf. He healed lepers. He raised the dead. In the book of Acts, we see Paul uh, uh, and, and, and Peter uh, and, and some of the apostles just walking along. And this, if their shadow touched uh, them, they were healed even at different points in time. There's one time when Paul preached so long that a kid or a guy, a young man, fell asleep and fell out the window and died. And Paul brought him back to life. You know, there's just miracle after miracle of healing. And it wasn't just the apostles. Stephen uh, was just uh, uh, taking care of the poor and the widows. And it says that he performed miracles and healings just because... He was a believer, and this is one of the signs that Scripture says was to follow believers, that they would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. Now, at the end of this passage, we see one of the most controversial passages in Scripture, and this is where Peter's mother-in-law is healed. Did you know that there was great controversy about this. You see, there's some scholars that really think that that's why Peter denied Jesus three times. That's not true. That's just a joke. That's a church joke. Okay. But uh, anyway, it's not because he didn't deny because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. That's not what was going on. But uh, the thing is, Jesus tells his disciples, not just his apostles, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. At the end of the uh, Gospel of Mark, 
as a part of the uh, Great Commission, Jesus says that one of the signs that would follow believers, not just apostles, would be they would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. That was one of the signs that would follow. And uh, then we see uh, uh, James saying, Are any of you ill? Let them call the elders of the church together, confess their sins, let them anoint them with oil, and he will recover. And so we have this all through the Bible, and then we wind up asking ourselves, if God can, why didn't he heal so-and-so of those horrendous headaches that they had? Why didn't he heal this person's depression? Why didn't he heal this person of addiction? Why didn't he heal my grandma? And many people, as they ask those questions, they'll come to the conclusion, either God's not real, God's not good, or God doesn't care. There is that tension. We see us being invited to ask for healing. And this is what we really see in the Bible, if you look at it, and what we can see in life as well. Our God heals But he doesn't heal everyone all the time. In the Bible, we see uh, Paul on his third missionary journey. Uh, One of the eight friends that accompanied Paul, uh, his name was Trophimus. And uh, Paul wound up leaving him sick in Miletus. Miletus, excuse me. He didn't, he, he could, he wasn't healed. And so Paul had to leave him there. He's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says, Use a little wine uh, for your stomach's sake and your frequent illnesses. So obviously, Timothy wasn't healed of everything. And then, of course, we see Paul's thorn in the flesh, that he prayed three times that the Lord would would deliver him. And finally, the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. And that is so true. And this is what I've discovered. No matter how the Lord answers, his grace is sufficient. Now, you can see three. Well, actually, there's like six reasons I came up with ultimately that God or that Jesus didn't do miracles. Well, let's see, three that are three we see very clearly as to why he didn't do miracles. I mean, laid out or just really plainly. First, He refused to perform miracles to prove himself whenever someone would say, do a trick for us and we'll believe. Whenever that happened, Jesus never responded. Also, he never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. We see Judas betray Jesus for uh, silver. And then we see Jesus being arrested Peter pulls out a sword and whacks off this guy's ear and Jesus picks up his ear, places it back on and heals his ear. And then he tells Peter this, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did... How would the scriptures be fulfilled 
that describe what must happen now. So you see, God had an ultimate plan. And because of that ultimate plan, uh, Jesus didn't call thousands of angels. Even though he could, he didn't. And then we see Jesus didn't do miracles where there was no faith. In his hometown, when he came back there, they gathered in the in the Sabbath or on the Sabbath in the uh, synagogue. And as they're listening, all of a sudden says, hey, wait a minute. I know this guy. Isn't that the carpenter Joseph's son? Isn't that the teacher's pet that always knew all the answers to the Bible questions? Isn't that, isn't that him? And they got indignant. And because of their over-familiarity with him, it says that he couldn't do many miracles there, except he, he healed just a few. So whenever there is unbelief, Jesus is limited in what he can do. Now, there are other reasons today that we see and that I've seen. One is uh, some people don't want to be healed. You see Jesus checking with the man at the pool of Siloam. He says, do you want to be healed? And maybe, have you ever seen anybody that just gloried in their illness? I mean, there's some people that, oh, they love the attention they get. They love uh, uh, just uh, they get out of work, all sorts of things. They just, they glory in their illness and they count on it. It's It's a part of them. And if that was gone, they wouldn't be them anymore. And so for different reasons, uh, they just, uh, they want to hang on to their illness. That was a, a ladybug, by the way. You know. <laughs> Preaching in country churches, I have had wasps come up and do that sort of thing. But uh, thank goodness, that was just a ladybug. Now then, some are barred by bitterness. Jesus speaks very, very strongly about how harboring bitterness in your heart, unforgiveness in your heart, puts you back, even if you're saved, it puts you back in the spot just like you never were. And Jesus can't help you when you're harboring bitterness. In fact, uh, bitterness has been connected with so much illness, with heart trouble, with cancer, with uh, arthritis in particular. And I can remember one uh a uh, person, there's a man, uh, I remember a, a, a minister was praying for the ill and this guy just had arthritis so bad. And he said, now, before I pray for you, is there anyone that you're harboring bitterness toward? He said, yes, my ex-wife. And he said, well, you know, unless you forgive her, the Lord can't heal you. And the man's response was, I'd rather go to hell than do that. People feel that strongly about their bitterness many times. I went out to pray. We had a lady in our church in Jacksonville that was ill with, with arthritis. She got to so, so that she couldn't, couldn't do anything. And she made the best cakes. And uh, she couldn't even make her cakes. It was terrible. And she'd been a person that mowed her own yard and everything. And all of a sudden the arthritis would just, and I went out to pray for her and I asked her, is there anyone you're harboring bitterness against? And turns out two nephews had called them and told them, come on and move here to Jacksonville from where they were living before. 
and we'll look after you and take care of you. So they packed up and they moved and those two nephews never gave them the time of day. They picked up and left all their friends and everything and she was holding bitterness against them. And I asked, can you forgive them? She said, yes, I can. She forgave them. We prayed. The next week, she was mowing her yard again and making those wonderful cakes again. But you see, bitterness barred her healing. Some bar themselves from uh, any blessings from God by their pride and their willful unbelief. There are so many people that don't want any help from anybody, even God. And they'd rather suffer than ask for help. And so they wind up, the Lord cannot, gentlemen that he is, respond to someone that don't want him, doesn't want him around. But the thing is, Jesus told us to ask right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where he's telling us that we're worth so much more than the sparrows that if a sparrow falls to the ground, our Lord knows about it, and you're worth so much more than them. And in the midst of that talk that he's giving, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And you see the acronym there, ask, seek, knock, A-S-K. He's trying to get across, you need to ask. Don't expect him to respond if you're not willing to ask. Another thing we see in scripture though, is that faith moves the very heart of God. We see the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years and had exhausted all of her means trying with doctors trying to get well. And she just creeps up and in faith touches the hem of Jesus' garment and he's, she's made whole. We see a man with leprosy just fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him. And Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now then, notice it wasn't his faith in his faith. It was his faith in Jesus. And there's a difference. You've got to, your faith is something that goes toward an object. It's not something that's just a possession. It's something that flows toward God from you. We see poor Bartimaeus, Jesus, blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road, hearing that Jesus is coming. And he starts, Jesus, son of God, help me. And then they come over and he's yelling. They come over and tell him to be quiet. Master's too busy. Don't, don't, don't bother the master. Don't, don't trouble the master, they say. Do you remember what he did? He yelled louder than he ever did before. Jesus! And Jesus stopped and he goes over to him and he touches him and he heals him. Some of you may have been taught don't bother Jesus. Don't bother him with stuff. I remember uh, asking a lady one time if she had prayed about something. He says, oh, I never ask anything for myself. 
And some people are taught you don't ask for yourself. You just ask for others. That's the Christian thing to do is to be unselfish. Well, you're being disobedient because he says, ask, seek, knock. And you're disobeying him if you don't ask for yourself. He's made it clear. It's you that he cares about. And you've got to have faith that he cares about you. Even if you feel unworthy and unlovable, he created you to be the apple of his eye. And you're okay to him. He loves you. But when Jesus saw faith, he was amazed. And it was in one of two ways. It was either wow or wow. You know, then the Roman centurion that had the sick servant. We see in the passage we read today, that was a wow time. I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Wow. Look at this man's faith. He was moved by the man's faith. Now then, in his hometown, where no one was impressed with Joseph's son, it was, wow, man, how can they not receive what God has for them? So let me ask you, when it comes to your faith, is it wow or wow? What kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith do you have this morning? Because you see, your faith moves the heart of God. You don't have to have big faith. He makes that clear. Just the size of a grain of mustard seed. That's big enough. Just a little bit. And in fact, he's already said to everyone is given the measure of faith. You may say, I don't have any faith. You do. You do. Because the Bible says to everyone has been given a measure of faith. So this is what happens whenever you see the uh, father of the boy that was uh, cast into the fires and all. And, and, and God, uh, and Jesus comes to him and he says to Jesus, Jesus, if you can do anything, and the Lord makes it clear that everything is possible for him who believes. And uh, he says, immediately the father, boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. See, he had a measure of faith, but his unbelief was bigger than his faith. And sometimes our unbelief overshadows our faith. And so the father prays rightly, help me with my unbelief. And if you start focusing on your belief, and, uh, and, and, and realize that your unbelief is just something that's overshadowing your faith. All of a sudden, you can turn it around. And so, uh, anyway, we all have a measure of faith. And this morning, even I'm talking, I think that y'all are realizing that. All of you realize, yes, I trust in God. I know there's a God. But there's the something, sometimes, we're afraid to exercise our faith because we're afraid we're going to be disappointed. And if I was disappointed, then that would just pull the rug out from under my faith. And so you never take a step and exercise what you really deep down believe 
because of your unbelief that says, what if it's not true? Well, the thing is, that shouldn't, even if God says no, if you believe in his goodness, you know he says no for a reason. And uh, our faith isn't based on what God does, on how he performs. Our faith is based on who he is and who is he to you. He is your loving heavenly father. Faith doesn't rest on what God does or doesn't do. It rests in him and he's proved his goodness to you first and foremost on the cross. Whenever you don't think you're worth anything, he says right there, I think you're worth everything. I gave my all for you. I gave my all for you. When Jesus came to earth, it was with the highest purpose ever. And that was so that you could enter into the kingdom of God in the here and now and be there through all eternity. Primarily, first and foremost, it wasn't to heal bodies, but to save souls. But healing is one of the ways that the Lord says, you're not alone in this world. I am with you. And that's what we've been talking about the last two Sundays before this one is you're not alone. God is with you. And it's through healing. This is one of the ways that he lets you know and reminds you, you're not alone in this world. It's not just something in the sweet by and by. He's with you in the here and now. Case in point, four good buddies had a friend that couldn't even walk. So they drag him over to where Jesus is talking and they can't even get in the door because the crowd's so thick. So they climb up on the roof and they dig a hole in the roof. And can you imagine what that looked like when Jesus is up there talking and all of a sudden, now, you know, you always picture him being let down in a cot. I think they probably just had a rope under his arms. And so all of a sudden, oh, Bubba's there just uh, dangling there. You know, just, and, you know, I think they got Jesus' attention, you know. And so what does Jesus do once this man's friends have presented him to Jesus in this spectacular way? What does he do? First of all, you know what he does? He forgives his sins. That's the first thing he did. Then he healed him. He cared about his here and now and his hereafter. And his hereafter was really more important than the here and now. Because let's let's face it. It does say in scripture, it is appointed once for a man to die. Everybody that Jesus healed ultimately died. And so he is more concerned about your eternal health than your physical health. But that doesn't mean he doesn't care about your physical health. But just think, Lazarus raised from the dead. He died. We had a guy in our annual conference here who had at one time worked for the Russian government as a scientist and then became converted and became a Christian, and they poisoned him, and they killed him. 
and they took him to the morgue. They stuck him in a locker for three days. Three days later, they pull him out to do an autopsy and he comes back alive again. And uh, he wound up getting out of Russia and coming to Houston, Texas, of all places, and ultimately becoming a United Methodist pastor. And I remember I read newsletter, newspaper articles about this guy. I can't even pronounce his name. And he's, but you see, whenever I would see him walk in the halls at annual conference, I think, why are people thronging around him? I mean, it was a verified situation. God had been dead three days, visited with the Lord, and came back. And uh, so what happened? Not long ago, he died. All of us are going to die sooner or later. And there is a sickness to death. And so just because we you pray for someone and they die, it doesn't mean that they weren't healed. Some people call death the ultimate healing. And let's face it, so many people are so much better off now than we are because they've gone on to be with the Lord. But that does not negate the fact that he wants you to ask when you're ill because he glorifies himself in responding to your requests in faith to be made whole. So he cares about you and he cares about your well-being. And one of the ways that he cares about your well-being is your health. And so as we come to the conclusion of the service today, if there are any of you who are ill and uh, you would like for me and Sharon and anybody else that would like to, to lay hands on you and pray for you, we'll be happy to if you'd come as we stand at the close of our service today.